nobody believes anything because they think they're wrong about it. We all, whatever we all believe, we all believe a right about. Hey, this is Unrefined Podcast. I'm Brandon Spain, your host, with co-host Lindsay Waters. Welcome to another episode. Welcome, everybody. We have an awesome show today for you guys. We got Lindsay in the house. Hey, guys. And we have one of our unrefined friends on the show, uh, Doug Van Dorn. Hey, guys. Great to be on the show with you again. Yeah, and uh, we're, we have a pretty pretty good show lined up today, and uh, yeah, so what I'd like to start off with is Doug is coming out with a podcast. Can you tell them a little bit about your, your podcast that's coming out, Doug? Yeah, I did it. Uh, I wasn't going to do a podcast by myself. I, I told myself that a long time ago. I do not have time for that, but... Uh, the fella, um, Rudy Landa, who produced the Angels and Giants documentary that came out earlier this year that I was in, kept bugging me. He's like, man, you need to do a podcast. And I said, if you if you produce it, we'll do it. So uh, he said, I totally want to produce it. So um, we've kind of we've we've done one show going to do another one on Saturday. We're calling it Giant Steps. So I'll have kind of multiple meanings, you know, obviously the fringy giant stuff, but also taking steps beyond that. <laughs> and it's also a uh, yeah. shout out to John Coltrane. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we love some Coltrane around here. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, let me tell you this, Doug, uh, a little bit of fascinating trivia about that video. That, that video was awesome. Um, I just want to give you a little how small the world is. We just had I don't know if you know him or not. MK Davis. Do you know MK Davis, the Bigfoot guy? And the uh he was in the video. He was one of the original ones that saw the skulls at that lady's uh was it I don't know if it's a ladies store or at that place that were hidden downstairs. Yeah, down in the oh, basement. In in Nevada. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We we just had him on our show. What's so amazing about the small world? We're we're sitting here watching that video. And, and and Lindsay's like, that's MK Davis. And Lindsay went to college with both of his sons, and he's known MK Davis for like how many years, Lindsay? <laughs> like twenty or more. Yeah. You know? That's funny. We're we're like a Mississippi dude is on this video that Doug's in and, and Derek and all these guys, you know. So anyway, yeah, that video is outstanding. I, I think it's something great to give to people who really don't believe the the giant stuff yet. So but uh well yeah. today I want to start off, Doug, with um, you know you kind of talking about your paper that that you wrote that we we've we've heard about. I, I wanted to I wanted to get a copy of it, but I didn't have enough time really to you know do, to to give it justice to really you know get in there and give you criticism and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, yeah, so if you will start out telling us about that. Um, the the paper that I sent out to a bunch of you people on. Facebook was kind of my distillation of the transfiguration story, which comes at the end of all that. Right. And, yeah. um, the idea is that Jesus, well, the 70, he sends out the 70 disciples in John 10 
and that they come back and, uh, you know, they can't believe it because the demons are subject to them in his name. And at that point, Jesus says, well, I saw Satan's fall like lightning from heaven. So that's the context of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that raises the question of when did Jesus see Satan fall like lightning from heaven? And so you get all kinds of speculation Mm. about what he's talking about. And almost all of it comes from places outside of Luke 9 and 10, which I think is kind of strange. Like he says this in response to the 70 coming back and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So you would think that that comment has something to do with them returning at that moment with joy, right? But that's not yeah. the way most people interpret that. They'll they'll say that, well, Jesus is talking about some primordial event far away in the Old Testament, maybe even before creation. Or some people will go to the to the future and say, oh, Jesus is predicting the future of the fall of Satan. And uh it just kind of struck me as I had been thinking about all these different um, stories, one after another, culminating in this this particular one, that it seems to me that the closest event that would have any bearing on the fall of Satan would be the transfiguration. Well, the transfiguration and right before that, where he's at Caesarea Philippi and uh, Peter you know, makes his, his confession of faith. Those two stories you know, are kind of intertwined together. I get why people do that. I mean, they want to uphold the perspicuity of Scripture, you know, of Scripture interpreting Scripture and all that kind of stuff. But I think sometimes we can take it too far and and not like you like you just said, sit in the text and see, okay, so what what did it mean right then in that text, you know, not in Revelation or in the past? And right. uh, yeah. Is that the right word, perspicuity? When it uh, uh, perspicuity kinda... is the greatest word in the uh, in theology because it it means clear <laughs> or understandable, and <laughs> it's like a the word, word nobody is anything, knows. Anything is right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, my unrefined friends, I just want to tell you guys that I am so thankful that you are my life. Some of our best fans uh, have been writing to us and and I, I just so encouraged about how lives are being transformed and people are getting something out of this podcast. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this is to glorify Jesus and to just look at the world and have a, a more open view of the seen and the unseen and the supernatural in the world. So while we're doing that, we're going to handle all different kinds of topics. But see, what I'd like for you to be involved in or part of is our members only group things that are coming in our members only group that are going to just blow your mind not to mention there's gonna be episodes in there that you won't be able to hear just on the normal episode channel so make sure to visit our website at unrefinedpodcast.com and check out our members only community i just can't stress the fact that you know we're after building a community and there's there's so much out there you guys and there's so much coming i really believe we need to build these strong communities of christ followers to to be able to handle what might be coming in the in the future days we're sure that you'd be a good fit and we cannot wait i can't wait to see you there
Hey Doug, real quick, is there some symbolism with the 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 seventy and like, if I'm remembering this correctly in Genesis, this idea of seventy nations? Is there a connection there? You think? Uh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, yeah. We can we can kind of talk about that. I don't know how how long you want me to talk about it or how deep I can go forever if you want me to. I don't really care. Yeah, not forever, but just go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll well, rank you. Angle you back in. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, the, the main idea is that Luke 9 and Luke 10 are parallel um, chapters. Okay. And so Luke 9 begins with Jesus sending the 12 out. And um, then Luke 10 begins with them sending the 70 out. And the, he tells them both kind of don't take anything with you. And then, uh, you know, when you go to a place, put let your peace rest on the house and all this kind of stuff. Well, the 12 come back. And, um, at, at that moment, Jesus, you know, he, it doesn't say anything about what they actually did. So as soon as they come back, then Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi with them. This is in Luke's version, right? And so, right. uh, then he takes the three up to the top of the tall mountain. And then when they come back down, they apparently meet with the other nine and there's this story. So the very next story is that there's this guy that has this, uh, a demon, I think it's a demon boy, a boy with a demon, and it says that that um the nine couldn't cast it out. And yeah. so that's being contrasted then with the 70 coming back, and they say, Oh, you know, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so it seems like something has happened between the 12 being sent and the 70 being sent. And what would mm -hmm. that be? Well, there's only one thing it could possibly be, which is the transfiguration. So I think that that's a literary clue that um, that we need to take the transfiguration more seriously. And so I had come across some commentary that made a couple of connections between Psalm 89 and the transfiguration. And I started to go into a deep dive on that. And oh my goodness, I mean, there are, it seems like dozens of direct verbal connections between that Psalm and the Caesarea Philippi transfiguration um, storyline. And one of those is that Mount Hermon is actually mentioned in Psalm 89. And so some of the church fathers uh, identified Mount Tabor as the mountain of the transfiguration, and they went to Psalm 89 to prove it. And what's interesting is that same verse that has Mount Tabor also has Mount Hermon in it. And so one of those uh, fathers actually, I think wrongly, said that there was kind of two, two events on these two different mountains. Um, and, you know, so modern scholars think that the mountain was actually Mount Hermon for many reasons. Uh, and Mount Hermon is so important because they're, first of all, at the base of it, at Caesarea Philippi, at the gates of hell where uh, Peter makes his confession on the rock, and the rock is like this um, probably quadruple entendre, actually, of the confession yeah. of Jesus himself as the rock, of Peter's name, Revelation. and of the actual place they're standing on, which is the gates of hell. Yeah. Well, at the top of that is Mount Hermon, and Mount Hermon was known as the Mount of the Divine Assembly of the god El and his 70 sons. So there's your connection, Lindsay, with the number uh, 70. Right? Mm. So Mount Hermon now, was actually 
that was the mountain where El and the Seventy Sons met. Now refresh my memory. El is the is the Canaanite uh, the major Can- god, Canaanite right? counterpart, right? And he's married to Asherah. We're not married to consort. And then they yeah. together have the seventy sons. And the the Baal cycle actually is a story. It doesn't mention Mount Hermon, but it it kind of does. Uh, and the story of the Baal cycle is that um, the beloved son of El Yom, the sea god, the chaos god is about ready to receive this inheritance of a kingdom. And so Baal is furious about it. And so he seeks to destroy Yom and basically cast him down to earth. <laughs> so and that so when you when you read start reading the language of the Transfiguration and, and Caesarea Philippi, Baal cycle imagery comes to your mind. Um it's at it's at the Transfiguration that God says, this is my beloved son. Same language as El gives to Yom. And then, you know, Jesus says he sees Satan fall like lightning. Well, that's the same kind of imagery of uh, Yom being brought to the ground. But it's even more strange because uh, Baal is actually the storm god, the lightning god, and one of his two weapons was lightning. Yeah. Mm. Um. And so there's all kinds of reasons to think that Baal, the lightning god, is actually the same person as Satan in the New Testament. And so could the I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven actually be a clever way of talking about the storm god? Wow. And so uh, I think it's John Walton uh, in one of his millions of books, I forget which one it's in, uh, talks about how the fall of Satan like lightning, is it, is it something that's talking about his defeat? Or is it talking about something that might refer actually to aggression and anger? And so I kind of mm. end up combining that idea of, I think it's both. It's, a, it's an initial binding of Satan, because in the next chapter, uh, Jesus talks about how he binds the strong man, and he calls the strong man Satan. And Beelzebub, so there's your Baal connection. Right. But if he's falling like lightning because he's angry at what has just happened, now all of a sudden this brings in um, texts like Revelation 12, where um, the dragon is fighting with Michael, and then he's cast out of heaven, and, and it's all over the fact that this baby's being born. And so when he finds out that this baby is born, and then he ends up ascending to heaven, well... The dragon gets furious and he shoots down to earth and he starts to attack um, essentially the church. Uh, so that actually is the very center of Revelation, the book of Revelation, um, uh, in terms of its the way that it's been written as a giant uh, chiasm, a giant literary device with a center. And it actually parallels what you find in John 12, which is a parallel to the Revelation 12, written by the same person where yeah. Jesus says, now uh, the prince of the world is cast out. And then what? how does he define the now? Well, he defines it as he will draw all men to himself at his cross and uh, mm. at his resurrection. So, um, you know, it's, it's a completely weird thing. You do not find, for whatever reason, scholars really talking about... Um, the transfiguration as the event of the fall. Like 
if, if they don't, you know, there, there's a there's actually quite a few. In fact, probably the majority of scholars will say that the fall of Satan, like lightning, did occur sometime during Jesus' ministry, or at least in part. And mm. you know, usually they'll say it's the baptism, or maybe the uh, temptation, or uh, more common probably at the cross and when he descends to hell that kind of stuff. But the transfiguration is almost always left out. And yet when you read that story together with Psalm 89, which is this prophecy that begins in the heavens um, with the divine council, in fact, it even mentions the divine council, and it talks about the sons of God, and it talks about this covenant that they're all bearing witness to that seems to be taking place right there that Mount Hermon and Mount Tabor are watching and becoming witnesses with themselves. And what is the covenant? Well, the covenant is that the Father is doing something for the Son. He's making a declaration for the Son, essentially, that he's going to uh, inherit this great kingdom. Well, I mean, that's exactly what we find going on uh, in the language that Luke uses with the Transfiguration, especially. Wow. So that's the basic yeah, idea it, of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it it goes back to the same theme of recapitulation, you know, with the seventy and and and, and all that, and what Jesus did on Mount Hermon and all that kind of stuff. It just it, it plays well into that doctrine to me, um, of him reversing, so to speak, what Heiser would say, reversing Hermon. So, yeah, exactly. And it, it's a and this is the initial stage of it. So when you see the seventy disciples. That is that is the beginning of this reclamation project, um, where the heavenly sons of God are being disinherited now. Um, Satan is being shown through this covenant that's being um, declared there at the transfiguration that his days are short. He then comes down to earth and thinking that he's going to find a way to stop it, actually ends up sealing the deal by by making the covenant then be cut in the blood of Christ. So. Yeah, uh, and at that point in time, that's when I think Dr. Heiser said that that the uh, the disinheritance is kind of officially legal at that point, and then then the Book of Acts comes along and you start to see the reversal of it, right? With with uh, mm -hmm. the nations beginning to be saved. Well, what? How many nations? Well, the seventy nations. Seventy. So that yeah. that seventy idea, seventy nations that then get reached with the gospel, and then that in, ends up becoming in. Pauline theology, you become sons of God through adoption. That whole thing has its beginning there with the 70 coming back and Satan and the demons being subject uh, to them in the name of Christ. Yeah, it's interesting, Doug, you bring that up about the sons of God. I've gotten a lot of blowback from people that they're not really anti the divine council, but they've heard like, uh, they haven't heard it in its entirety. They haven't really studied it. They hear you know, YouTube videos of discernment ministries or whatever. And, but it makes a lot of sense if you, if you throw it in with that Corinthians, uh, where Paul talks about that one day we'll judge angels. Like we're taking the place of the sons of God, you know, we're not Elohim in that sense, but we are redeemed sons of God and we're, we're taking the place. Is that how, how you view it? Is that what, what you would see happening? Yeah, I mean, uh, so Mike argued that um, the word Elohim refers to any spiritual entity that, that resides on the other side. Right. And so he included in that Samuel when he yeah. uh, was called by the witch, witch of Endor. 
So he wasn't alive as a human. He's now dead. And so because he's on the other side, he is an Elohim. Well, oh, wow. when will we rule as um, sons of God in this kind of final culminative way? Well, it's when we're in our glorified bodies. So, yeah. uh, you know, one of the reasons people get upset about this, because it sounds kind of like Mormonism. <laughs> you become a God yeah. or something, right? Yeah. But or or a word of faith teaching too with some of their weird stuff. Yeah, exactly. And um that you know that's not what's going on at all. It's actually going back to Eden where um God gave to Adam dominion and a rulership, authority. And that was what it meant to be made in the image of God. Look, I'm going to make you in my image and so therefore go and have dominion over the earth. Yeah. Well, yeah, the genealogy in Luke is the one that calls Adam the son of God. The son of God, yeah, absolutely. And that's going right back to that, right? Oh, there's actually 70 stuff going on there too, because um, that genealogy is um, written into 70 and 7. So uh, the first seven, or the last seven names, I guess in that case, would be um, from Adam to Enoch. And then you have 70 names that go from Enoch to Christ. That's not a coincidence. No, you're right. Wow. Yeah, I totally forgot about that one. Now that's part. That's all part of Luke's um, uh, seventy wow. worldview that he's. Trying well, it's to just study. amazing that a Gentile doctor knew so much about the, you know, the 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 Tanakh and and all that stuff. You know, it's just anyway. Um, I guess he was probably a God fearer. I guess before he started following. He, the, the, well, actually, the tradition. If you go and look at the Wikipedia, the tradition is that Luke was one of the seventy that was sent out. Oh wow. So I yeah, mean, I've heard people argue that he may have been Jewish before, but I've never seen any proof of that. Or yeah, he could have There's been a no convert. Necess- or- I don't think it's ne- necessary that he had to have been a Jew because Jesus is interacting with Gentiles when he's up there in yeah, you're Galilee, right? right? Yeah, um, the yeah. centurion who's who's a Gentile and and he's up in Tyre and Sidon. So I don't think it has to be um, that he was all the seventy yeah. are Jewish. The Syrophoenician woman, uh, yep. I mean, the Samaritans. I mean, you know, he, he stayed in Samaria for a while, which was... Yep. I mean, that's the whole point of, of his so. kingdom, is that it's a mixed kingdom, and that make, that's what makes the uh, Pharisees so upset. Right, right, right. Well, that's that's awesome. I'm going to... I think I, when, when your paper comes out and, and stuff, I I'm, I'm, can't wait to dive into it, because, I mean, I, it's just rich, and, and I love to include that in my teaching when I go I like to expository preach too and when I go through a book I like to get all you know there there needs to be a uh, I mean I know this sounds really cheesy but like a blurry fringy commentary somebody needs to write (laughs) you know like a at least a new testament one and uh anyway so maybe that's what you know uh, wants me to do I don't know so Brandon for your friends that are um having problem with divine counsel, since we're in Psalm 89, it might be helpful just to read the first few verses of it because okay, like that's what this is all about. So it starts off a masculine of Ethan the Ezraite. And that's very interesting because um, you go and read the dictionaries and they all say that Ethan the Ezraite was a Canaanite. So it's one of the few Psalms written by a Canaanite who had converted wow. to... Wow. Um, it's very important because... You know, what I just said is that El is the Canaanite God, right? And the 70 sons, right. that's the Canaanite religion. So, and God is actually being called El in Psalm 89. He's not, he's not being called 
Mm. I mean, that that's his main name. So this is very important to what's going on. So then he says, I sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. That's um, and then with my mouth, I make known your faithfulness to the generations. Steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. So it's starting to set the context of where this begins. Then the covenant part, I, you said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. So that's that comes up later in the psalm that that becomes a prophecy of Christ as the New Testament puts Messianic. it. But then, yeah. then you have covenant witnesses. So I will establish your offspring. Well, okay, so I establish your offspring forever, build your throne for all generations. So that's the rest of the promise of the covenant. Um, and then here's the witnesses. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Well, that's the divine yep. council. Like yep. that's the yep. definition of the divine mm-hmm. council. Yep. And where are they located? In the skies. Who can be compared to the Lord? Who among the in the ESV heavenly yep. beings? But that's sons of God, literally. Who among the sons of God? Where are these sons of God? They're in heaven. Where? In the assembly. What's that? That's the divine council. And so, yeah. uh, seven I mean, goes on feared to be in the council of the holy ones. There it is again. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. In the council, right? The verse seven in the council of the holy ones. So people that have a problem with divine council need to go and read their Psalm 89 a little bit more closely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even just the, the term, um, this version has Yahweh God of armies, but that's the Shabbat or whatever. Um, to, what armies? I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. people. I mean, yeah, exactly. Why are people in heavenly places? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And we know that um, in the Old Testament, there were no humans in the heavenly places because they're all in Sheol. Yeah, that's where everybody goes. Everybody goes to Sheol. That's yep. what David says of his son. I'm going to go down to my son in Sheol. That's what Jacob says when he thinks Joseph's dead. I must see him in Sheol. Yep, that's in the middle of the earth. It's not up in the sky. Right. Well, yeah, I just had a friend that he's newly saved, and uh, I've been trying to influence him towards certain things. And, and his pastor, and I don't want to get in the way of what his pastor's teaching him and stuff, but his his pastor came, basically came and said, oh, that divine counsel stuff, it's all heresy. You know, you can't find it outside of Michael Heiser. And, and uh, I was just like, you know, I'm not going to go against your pastor, but he's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, I mean, I, and I said, I'm not disagreeing with him as a person or judging his heart or any of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, there's just, there, once you get the lens to see the divine counsel in scripture, you see it everywhere. And, and the whole, the whole, I had to write a paper in seminary about the incarnation and the atonement. And I drew a lot off of TF Torrance and the, the whole, the, the whole, the whole of scripture encapsulates this this Christus Victor, you know, and I'm not taking away from the penal substitution. I mean, I totally, I mean, I buy that completely. It's it's crucial. It's fundamental and all that stuff. But I think the, the Christus Victor is the theory that, like, is the umbrella that combines all of it together really well. I don't know what you think about that, Doug, but uh, it makes all the pieces fit together to me. Yeah, it's and, it's weird to me that people make this either or with the atonement. Exactly. Like, why is yeah. it that the atonement can only do one thing, and it has to be either yeah. this or that? I don't yeah, understand Ang- that. Yeah, an Anglican priest scholar that that uh, I know I've met through Agna. He, um, Scott McKnight, he's pretty 
uh, well-known scholar. He he wrote a really interesting book called a, commu- a community called Atonement, and I don't agree with all this stuff. I eat the meat and spell the bones, but he did bring up a really good point. He sees that the theories of the atonement are like a golf bag, and you pull out the club that you need at the time yeah. to help you, you know. And I, I like think it. there's a lot of truth to that. And, yep. Uh, I mean, you have some that are like the wedge, like the ransom theory. You don't need that very often, but but you know, you have your irons and your your woods and all that kind of stuff. And uh, um, yeah, I, I I I don't subscribe to the the woke end of it where oh yeah god is a divine child abuser you know and he's abusing <laughs> his son all that crap is what it is anyway and but but at the same time you know i've been around people that that they just penal is like the gospel and no you know the god the good news is that jesus jesus incarnated himself and made an atonement for us and he changed you know like nt wright says he's put in the process of putting the world to rights which in which includes our sins in our hearts but it, it it's so much more expansive than that in my opinion without yeah, going it's all to it's all social, of creation yeah without going social justice you know in liberal theology so anyway but uh yeah cool well um doug let's let's switch gears i want to talk about some conspiracy stuff and i, I just um there's been a lot of stuff going on in the news, and and I, I just want to know your your takes on um some different stuff because I follow your post. I, I'm I'm one of the what you say four people that read them, <laughs> you know. So because you know you know Facebook throttles you, you know it does. He throttles oh, I me. I know and, they and, do. And, yep. and they don't even put they don't even put near about the stuff that you put out there. I mean, you just like are unrefined. You throw it out there, and and I think it's good. People need to hear it. And they need to hear it from you because they they know your heart. They know you're not like culture warrior or whatever. I mean, that that you're you're balanced and 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 moderate, but yet you are passionate about what's happening in the world and stuff. So, what in the past few weeks do you see that's uh, really important that we need to pay attention to that's going on in the world? Oh goodness! I mean, the most obvious I one know. is is uh, hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> is Trump and all of the uh, indictments? Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, what, what do you think's going on there? <laughs> well, um, is that a can of worms? What, what can I say <laughs> that won't get you guys suspended from whatever platforms you're on? So uh, just use code words. Well, <laughs> you're good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so uh, you know, I've been I've been following this phenomenon on the internet that appeared in 2017. Um, that's a certain letter of the alphabet right? Uh, that is the conspiracy theory, which must not be named. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, I mean, I've looked a lot into this and I've never stopped looking at it and there is so much disinformation about it. Uh, and, and it just astonishes me. And I mean, the, the root idea of it is that it, it creates a a worldview, uh, an ability to think through what's going on in the world that nothing else out there can create, okay? So whether you right. think it's totally bogus or you think that it's uh, some sort of a, a deep state um, thing to, you know, pull one over on everybody, that, that Trump and Biden are all really actually working together, they're all working together. I mean, whatever conspiracy theory you have, 
the honest person who goes and actually just reads those posts um, comes away with a whole bunch of facts that allows you to make at least a different sense of what's going on in the world. And to me, that sense is, and this is not, this doesn't mean it corresponds to truth. There's, you know, get into a little epistemology here for a minute. There's kind of two main theories of truth. One is the correspondence theory of truth, which that, which is that truth corresponds with reality. The other is a a coherence theory of truth, which is that truth is coherent. It doesn't, it's not internally contradictory. Yes. Okay. I actually hold to kind of both of those. I think they're both important. I don't think yes. truth that corresponds to reality is internally contradictory. And I think yes. that they, I think they both need one another. So at the very least, what I can tell you from my, my reading of it and experience is that it gives you a coherent uh, framework for thinking about what's going on and whether or not people interpret that, those things properly or not. Um, that's not on on the actual thing itself, that's on people who are interpreting it. I mean, there's bad interpreters all over the place and there's people that use things for evil purposes. And I mean, there's so much to it, but I mean, you're asking about the question. And for me, when I think about what's happening with, uh, with these indictments, I mean, we were told in this, in this whole, uh, series of drops that you're watching a movie and that there is a plan to basically wake people up and help them to see things that they would not have otherwise seen unless it was being allowed to happen on purpose. And when you start right. to look at the insanity of taking a former president of the United States and indicting him four different times on dozens and dozens of ridiculous, absurd things. And then you trumped see his charges, reaction to them. What's up? What's that? I said, tr- I said, trumped up charges in pun intended. Trumped up charges. Yeah. But then you see his reaction to it, which is almost just like joking around and dancing. I mean, the only way I can make sense of that is that he knows what's going on and he's actually kind of planned for the thing. Right. So, you know, I, I look at that as is something that people need to, and they're going to, they're going to see more of it. Like I would not be surprised to see him actually arrested, thrown in prison, um, whatever it's going to take to force people to see that this is absurd. This is absolutely, completely, totally absurd and crazy. What in the world is going on? That's what I think the purpose is behind what we're seeing unfold. But that doesn't mean that all the things that are happening are like, um, good things, you know? So for example, think about the things going on in Maui right now. That's what I was about to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's nuts. I mean, I've only looked into it a little bit and I want to put a post up on Facebook when I look a little bit deeper into it. But my understanding of it is that you have these wildfires that are created in an instant. Nobody is warned about them. They're coming from the complete wrong direction of where storms always come from. Um, Mm, Laws were passed just three months earlier that the government can confiscate property if it's been, uh, you know, uh, destroyed by fire, stuff like that. Rich people Mm -hmm. are moving in and gobbling up land all of a sudden. The governor is saying things like, oh, well, we're just going to, we're going to give this land now to the government and we're going to set up a memorial in honor of the people. Yeah, right. And then you and then you hear that they're going to that the whole plan is to turn Maui into one of these 15 minute 
city islands, right? It's yep. like the whole thing just reeks of what we, well, what we saw earlier in the year with the wildfires up in wildfires Canada, in where Canada. all you have to do yeah. is look at the satellite footage and you see 25 different fires going off instantaneously in sunny skies. <laughs> like what? Completely nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and not to so, mention, I don't know if you, if you know about this, Doug. I'm sorry, Lindsay. Let me let me finish this. Did did you hear that the the police officer that's in charge of all the Maui was also the police officer that was involved in the Las Vegas shootings that you that's gone <laughs> down the internet hole? Did you know that? I did not. Like I said, I haven't looked deep into it, but that, nothing surprises me. I mean, what what are the odds of that, Doug? You know. Anyway, go ahead, Lindsay. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was, I was just gonna say, I hate this term, devil's advocate. I think it was Josh Robinson, Sword and Sass, said, "Devil don't need no advocate." But <laughs> the the argument I've heard from some people, like Tim Pool, for instance, he he says, "Well, why would you know?" He 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 kind of pushes back against that. He he says, "If they were already planning this, wouldn't the fire have?" ruined it or something like that what would what would you say to that what would the wouldn't the fire have ruined what like wouldn't that that have just if they were already building this uh 15 minute city and all this development he argues that the fire would have actually ruined something they were already planning and i don't know i think governments will will go that far i think they'll start all over from scratch they don't care they can get money from nowhere so you know it's funny yeah, in my I conspiracy don't... theory book um I, I go through a series of conspiracy theories throughout history that actually turned out to be true mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and the first one i start off with is nero and the fire of rome yep yeah, I didn't even think and about that. And that whole point was that that Nero wanted to to build this gigantic complex for himself in the middle of Rome, but he couldn't do it because there was all this stuff there. So he set a fire, and they blamed the Christians for it. Yep. And then all That's of a sudden, true. guess what? Just guess what pops up over the next couple of years? The very thing that he wanted to build. Mm. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, and it's not that they're going to yeah. turn Lahaina into a 15-minute city. It's that they want to turn Maui, the whole island, into it, and they need to be able to have certain, um, you know, they need to have laws. They need to confiscate property. They need to be able to uh, do a whole infrastructure the way they want to do it. They need to get people on their side that, oh boy, look at global warming. So we've got to, we've got to, uh, we've got to take care of the earth. People shouldn't be going anywhere. You know, just on and on and on are the the craziness of their thinking, but. Uh, yeah, I don't see what them uh, planning for, you know, a 15-minute city or, or an island or whatever. I mean, out, Maui's small. I've been there a couple times, and it's not huge. So to me, it's like a city yeah. in itself, right? Right. Um, it, and, and then just burning down the, the, the most gorgeous, uh, you know, tourist place in, on the whole island. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that going to do? Well... They think it's going to do what's going to happen. That's my opinion. So, you know, I I just don't, you know, the the bigger question is, how are we to think about things like this? And my answer would be, I'm not, I'm not telling people to go and just automatically go to conspiracy theories for every single thing to, you know, get, get the facts, even with this. I mean, like I said, I haven't looked into it. That's some of the things I've heard. I know what the other side is spewing, that this is all caused by global warming and it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. So people need to put their put their uh 
uh, brains back in their heads and do a little bit of investigation themselves and try and come up with the most coherent answer. And that means that you need to entertain more than one narrative that's out there. Yeah, because, right. I mean, we're getting fed information that's so contradictory from different sources, whether it be, uh, you know, mainstream news getting one source or it be, um, you know, the people that you follow on podcasts giving you another source on Telegram or Twitter or whatever it's called anymore. You know, because because we're being because it's an information war, our job, right. if we don't want to go insane, is to figure out how to think um, rationally uh, and honestly, mm. openly about all the sides of the story and then pick a side. <laughs> yeah. yeah well it amazes right. me is just this whole using the term conspiracy theory as just a kind of the the kill switch to any discussion basically That's right. and it's the pop i'm willing to bet everybody believes in some sort of conspiracy it just depends on how that what, what sort of slant they are as to what which ones they will accept i mean do we really believe nobody ever conspired to do anything? I mean, come on. Yeah. I was talking with a friend yesterday about this, and and uh, you know, I've thought a lot about this as a as a reformed Calvinist Christian who says he believes in total depravity. Um, and the whole idea behind total depravity, first of all, it doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could be, but it does right. mean that we're all tainted with sin and that our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things who can know it. And it's amazing to me to see people in my circles that say they believe in total depravity, preach it from the pulpit. Some of them every five weeks as they go through the tulip every five weeks, um, over and over and over, we're evil, we're evil, you're evil, I'm evil, we're all evil, we're all evil. Oh, but guess what? The government is totally good. And Big Pharma <laughs> is totally good. And, um, the, and the, the, nobody would ever lie to you in the media. And uh, it's just like, it's like surreal. I don't yeah. understand no. it. All I'm I've trying to do too. is apply yeah. my theology uh, consistently across the board. And if you don't yeah. believe there's such thing as conspiracies in this world, then oh my word, what are It's just, that's pure Pelagianism. I mean, that's, we're all just basically good. Well, we, we've, not been, uh, as, we, we, we as a family, um, I'm going I'm to I'm play my, my pay, my heathen card here. We've been watching the walking dead through again. And, and we're at the part where they're like trying to make a new, a new new thing and and my oldest son is not a believer but he's 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 on the borderline i mean he's he's been around it and i constantly you know we talk about it and stuff and he he loves all the conspiracy stuff but anyway so we're talking about them building a new world and i said it'll never work i said you know all the sweetness and niceness that that you can have does not take into account just just the 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 moral depravity of humanity and i said that's what the puritans when they came over here understood and that's what america has lost is with their humanistic things is that man is basically good and that is the fundamental thing that we have to understand and that goes back to what you're saying why would it's almost like why wouldn't there be conspiracies because man is depraved we're dead yeah. in our sins Psalm two. Why does the, you know that? 
Okay, yeah, why do the nations conspire? Why do the nations rage? Why do the heathen plot in vain? Exactly. I mean, that's government. He's talking about governments there. Yeah. Well, it, it, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, it, uh, Solomon said it, and it's just the same old, same, same. The song remains the same, to quote Zeppelin. I mean, it's it's the same, it's the same thing. And I don't. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Doug. I mean, that that happens outside form Calvinist circles, just in, in, in you know. White bread evangelicals. Were, no, that's right. Yeah, you know, I mean evangelicals. We all, all evangelicals say they believe in in uh, human sin and that we are all yeah. have original sin. Yes, yes. So, and that yeah. that's all of us. Armenians. It doesn't matter. So, why yeah. in the world are we not taking that seriously when we think about yeah. our institutions that are made of human beings? Mm. Yeah. Well, that was one of my my things that I, I, I'm just going to touch on this because I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. But that was one of my things I talked about a, a few podcasts ago with somebody about the preterism is is I can see where a lot of people go that route with preterism. But when I look at the world, Doug, I don't see the church making the world better, being salt and light. I see the world, quote, making the world better with an agenda. and And you can't sit here and say, see, well, Things are a lot better. People are more literate. People are more this, that, and the other. They have this long list of how the world is better. But if you go through that list, that's not because of the church. And if you were a true preterist, you would believe more of a post-millennialism that the church is the like the the leading one that's that's making the world a better place. But that's just not the case at all, because it's really not getting better. It's it's pseudo better. It's it's an agenda. You know, the elites have an agenda. Am I making sense here? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, you you're opening up a gigantic can of worms just because there's so, there's, <laughs> there's different ways of thinking about the eschatology and to be to try and be mm-hmm. fair with both sides. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I would I would argue that that um, you just take Calvin's Geneva that what came out of Geneva through the church and yeah, there's a state component to it there too, but. You know, you right. get hospitals, for example, that come out of that that didn't exist before. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, it's not, and you know, Christianity, Western civilization. Why? Why does the wokeness and the social Marxism? Why is it so hell bent on destroying Christianity? Well, because it hates what Christianity has built in the West. Yes, and uh, yes. Christianity's been responsible for a whole lot of good things. I think a so, lot of good things. I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very 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 complicated. If I I was just kind of thinking some eschatology stuff too that that uh, when people come with the conspiracy theory that shall not be named and and uh, yeah. there's this whole kind of utopia aspect to it that you find some of the new ager elements of that movement. Um, I yeah. s- suppose there's post millennial aspects to that movement. There's just you know different ways of thinking about it. But what I would say is as a Christian, you can't go with the new age. You can't go with the people are basically good. It's like, you, so yeah, the, you know, you can't, you can't go into it thinking the whole thing is rooted in a horrible conspiracy of evil government and evil, uh, big business and evil, big sports and pharma and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, but as soon as we get rid of them, we'll do it better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Doesn't even make well, sense. 
and, and then I get trumped with, uh, and I love using that term now. I, I get trumped with the whole aspect of Romans thirteen. You know, we, the government is good. We it's it's put in place. Yeah, I, but I, but people need to realize it's put in place like Pharaoh was put in place in the Exodus. You know, God used him, but his heart was evil and hardened, and God hardened his heart. That's how he used the government. So it's not always like, oh, the government is always right, and God uses it in always right fashion. Like, we should just all get along and sing Kumbaya. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's that's the, uh, don't want to be completely stereotypical, but I think Bonhoeffer would agree with me that that's literally what the Lutherans did with, with Hitler. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, yep. Nero, I believe, was in power when Paul wrote that. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Romans, don't get me started on Romans 13 and the abuse that people have of that. Yeah, I agree. I've been reading it, and yeah, it, yeah, yep. All right, so this, this leads into a perfect uh, segue for us to talk about what I really want to get from you, and you can go as long or as short as you want with this. Um, we've been asking our different guests on the show, what is your personal theology and, and orthopraxy? And to you, you guys out there, that's a big theological order that means your practice. What, what do you do? How you, how you live it out? Of Doug, what is your, what is your theology and orthopraxy of, of navigating through discernment? Not just the fringe stuff, but even the stuff we're talking about. Like, you know, like I sent you in that text, like we live in the new wild, wild west. We got white hats and black hats. And our, I mean, our, our government is a kangaroo court, and it's just, it amazes me daily to see all the insanity that we live in. So what is a, a if you could give some people some steps, some practical steps, some practical things to do to begin to walk in discernment, what would it be? What would you tell people? It's a great question. Um, I think you is need to have big? some priest presuppositions that you begin with that are um, non-negotiable. Yes. Uh, If you don't have those, then you'd be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That's where I am thoroughly reformed when it comes to apologetics and presuppositionalism. Totally. (laughs) And all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can't do anything without presuppositions. So you can't, and you need to be aware of your presuppositions. What are you willing to, what hill are you willing to die on? What are you not willing to die on? Those kinds of things. For yeah. me, I mean, I've spent 20 plus years as a pastor and my, my, my baseline, as much as I talk about other, um, other texts from the ancient world, um, other ideas from the modern world, uh, looking at politics and all this stuff, my baseline for everything is the scripture. Yes. And I hold to an incredibly high view of scripture. It may not be exactly what some people hold. I mean, I don't hold to a dictation view of what we have, but I hold that this is God's word and I need to take the entire thing seriously. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a way to, uh, stop thought. I'm not using scripture as a way of stopping thought. I'm just saying that, that I have a baseline, which is God's word. And God's word tells me that he, he has, he's brought a kingdom, uh, over the course of the millennia that culminates in his son Jesus that is a kingdom that transcends whatever I'm looking at in the world of men. And mm. I have to have that as my baseline that 
that whatever, whichever way my mind goes, so whether I start thinking incredibly negatively about what's happening right now, or I start thinking really positively about what's happening right now, I, mm, I have to understand in my mind that I belong to another kingdom and that this is not eternity right here. Mm. But mm. that eternity is um, manifesting itself uh, somehow through what's taking place right now. And there is interaction with the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. And God mm. does want me to think about what's happening now. And he does want me to be involved in whatever way he's called me and you and and everybody else mm-hmm. to be involved on an individual level. And for each of us, it's different. Um, if I don't have that kind of a baseline that allows me both to have a rock, but also um, a, a place from which I can go out and then think about things, I don't know what, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you can possibly manage to, to live and think through what's going on right now without going completely crazy or becoming new mm-hmm. age or you know, becoming an atheist or whatever the case is like that. I, I don't look at what's going on around me and have anything in my being be challenged in terms of those presuppositions, because they're my presuppositions. And I think they're good presuppositions. I think they're right presuppositions. Right. Um, if you can have that kind of a baseline, that's like, that's the most important thing, I think. Hmm. Um, from there, I would say, uh, Again, we kind of already brought this up, but you need to be willing to look at what's going on in the world honestly and to have Mm -hmm. whatever it is your view is of right now be challenged. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, my my dad is a saying that that nobody believes anything because they think they're wrong about it. We all, whatever we all believe, we all believe are right about it. And if we didn't believe that, then we should immediately change our mind about it. Because who believes that they're wrong about something and then believes that that's stupid? But at the same time, I can have a view of the world right now that's 180 degrees different from from what it was three years ago. But my view of the world right now may not be right. And I should still be willing to have my view of the world challenged. Um, And I need to be thinking through clearly as I can, surrounding myself with the kinds of people that are going to be giving me information that will challenge my view, but also that will also um, um, bolster the view that I have right now so that I can, I can keep getting feedback that if, if, uh, you know, if what's, if I have a, if I have a view of the world right now of what's happening and, and I stop listening to things that are going to keep reinforcing that, um, then I, I might start losing my reasons for why I believe the things that I, I'm believing about it, or I might start uh, entertaining bad thoughts about it. In other words, I need to stay grounded in, in the things that, that have changed my mind about what's taking place in 2020, while still also being willing to, to have those these challenges. It's, it's an incredibly hard thing to do. It's not for everybody. Um, uh, even the most basic people, though, really need to be thinking about just simple things. I was telling somebody a couple of days ago, just just thinking about the whole idea of three years after masks and COVID, and we know everything about the science that masks are insane and never worked, and Fauci knew they never worked and lied through his teeth about it. You still find people on bike trails in the middle of nowhere wearing bat- masks oh. to bike by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or driving down the road in a car and would wear a mask. I mean, I, we listened to Dr. Uh, what 
Kitty calls her Dr. Five and Dime. I don't want to name her name on, on the show because I might get squelched. But but uh yeah, I mean she was she was a great speaker and she she's like, I think that some of these people, you know, I'm not being ugly, but they're a little mentally ill. Well, yeah, I've said for no. years and Lindsay, Lindsay's heard me say this that liberalism, I think, is a mild and form of mental illness. Mental illness. I really yeah. I really do. And I don't mean that to judge people's hearts or judge just that but the 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 you know the 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 ideas and the and the philosophy itself it, it's insane <laughs> it's just literally insane and and that's what i have a hard time doing with, with some some counseling type stuff or or pastoral ministry type stuff is now the, the the insane people are writing the books that define what's insane and that that is a huge conundrum you know and <laughs> anyway i don't even want to go down that rabbit hole but uh we live in a world where it's okay for a five-year-old to decide what gender they, they are. Yeah. We're, we're going somewhere and I don't like where, where we're going. So, well, that, that's totally helpful. I mean, I, 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 I appreciate that. Uh, I, I, in my understanding, which is probably super similar to yours is, is I, I put uh, scripture as primary. I call it prima scriptura. And the reason I do that is because I believe that you can get truth from experience and rational Absolutely. thought too, yep. Yep. but, but it's, it's primarily from and scripture. And so, but, but, you know, in, in my heart, I am still, I mean, I'm a word guy. If it's, if it's not in the word, but you know, I also come to, I've come to realize that, that I don't like people who are simplistic and they'll just say, well, it's just the plain meaning of the word. Well, they don't realize from that, the, that from that, those, those, characters on a page to your brain it is interpreted so there is not such thing as just a plain meaning of the word so to speak it has to be without going to postmodernism we have to it has to be interpreted in community and with the holy spirit with people and uh i think we're going to see a lot more of that a lot of a lot more of people that are going to come together and put aside a lot of their differences not in an ecumenical woke way but in a uh you know, evangelical way and begin to say, okay, let's not major on what we disagree about. Let's, let's, let's go in and see what we agree about. And let's come to some con- consensus because the world is going to eat our lunch and pop our bag. If we don't do something, that's my hope. At least I, uh, I need to temper that with scripture too. So. Our culture is a little different than a lot of cultures that have existed before. I mean, our republic only works if the people in the republic are informed and educated and willing to be involved in the republic. Yeah. That's the whole point of it. And when yeah. I hear Christians essentially advocating for stay away from the public sphere, like you're basically saying you want the republic destroyed. And our responsibility as citizens of this country and I'm sure it extends beyond the country as well to other other countries. It's probably similar, at least in some ways. We we have to be informed, and there's nothing in the scripture that that would would say don't be informed about those things. In fact, I would say that we're obliged by the scripture to be informed by what's going on in our culture around us. So yeah. surround yourselves with with a culture that's going to help you think about what's going on in the culture. Because you can't do it by yourself because you will get eaten alive. Yeah, and, and that's what I see really happening a lot in and I'm use this term in the in the fringe world, 
is 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 I see a lot of people get isolated because they they come to take quote the red pill unquote, and then they get isolated because they everybody doesn't mean to, but they kind of ostracize them, and then and then what I'm seeing is these these aberrant groups that are on the fringe of Christianity are coming in and swooping them up and and eating them alive like Hebrew roots or the sacred name or some of that that's mm-hmm. massively pervasive in in a lot of our fringe circles, Doug. I don't know if you know that, but it, it, it's the it, it it's just it's it's taken more people than Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormon you know now and and I think it's because. We've already they've they've been shaken from their presuppositions of what the Bible was, and they've been reintroduced to some new presuppositions, which make more sense rationally as well as spirit uh, scripturally. But at the same time, they don't have that that like you said that culture around them. You know, the church used to create culture instead of like mimic culture. And if if I was a post-millennialists, that's what I would be promoting people, is to, let's get back to the place of of creating culture instead of, uh, you know, mimicking culture. And uh, that's another whole eschatological discussion there. And it's... Well, it is, but, uh, but there, on the mini-level, you have creating the culture within the church. So you can yes. have a, a mini-culture in a church that mm-hmm. um, uh, allows for freedom of thought without um, opening up to accepting all thought. Like, I think that's what we've yeah. tried to do in our church. We, we don't sit there and smack people down because they have disagreements on our confession of faith. We try and allow people to think through them and um, come yeah. to differing yeah. opinions without destroying who they are as human beings. And, you know, the, the same thing kind of goes... Uh, with how we think about the culture as well. If somebody doesn't want to think about what's going on in the culture, they're not they're not shamed, they're not slammed. If somebody yeah. wants to get a vaccine or wear a mask, whatever, try very, very hard not to do that. But if there's a bunch of people that want to think through things and talk about them, we we create a an atmosphere and a culture in the church that allows for that to take place without also putting them down and mocking them and telling them what horrible people they are. And and what that does is it's much bigger than just the idea itself that you're thinking about. It creates a community that's right. centered on the, on, on the greater idea of fellowship and body life and, um, mm. you know, all the things that are the reasons why you just brought up that people are going to these other groups. Because where, what are they getting in those groups? Well, they're getting community. They're getting the very thing they're yeah. starving for that they can't yeah. get in their own church because their church won't let them think about these crazy things that, that were the first things that allowed them to start freeing their mind from, from the tyranny of the media and all these other things, you know? It's our responsibility as churches to do this, I think. I can feel very, very strongly about that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, you are like, uh, on Blurry Creatures and other places, you are like the go-to church. Everybody wishes they lived near Doug where they could go to the Blurry Church or whatever. But that right there, what you just said, is 10 times worth more, in my opinion, than just, you know, a pastor who's open to cryptids and the, and the giants and all that kind of stuff is what you just said there. You're creating a culture for people to question in a safe place without being slammed. Mm-hmm. That, that. That's why I would send people to your church, you know, 
And even right even stranger, we do it uh, with with all these traditions in place. So like if people came to our church and they didn't know anything about it, they might sit down and, and go through the whole worship service and be absolutely freaked out because we're not we're not a, we're, our worship service is incredibly traditional, liturgical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we take communion every week. Uh, I mean, oh, wow. it, cool. it's like it's not it's not blurry at all in terms of the what the service is. It's just that we we allow for this part of life to also be part of our church life. <laughs> it's not the main thing because I mean, it, to me, I kind of look at the blurry stuff that the fringe stuff, the X-Files stuff, that's like, that's like eating cotton candy. That's the fun stuff. But if, man, <laughs> yeah. if you eat that all day long, you're going to be sick before you know it. You've got to have yep. the stuff that nourishes your body and your soul. And that's what, you know, that's why, that's why I continue to be reformed because I think that it gives a very, very good, uh, grouping of of spiritual food that we need for our deeper soul soul and and sustenance we've we've got to stay centered on the gospel i mean it it, it, that's that's why we exist as the church you know but that's true you know we have to even in the fringe room we have to bring it back to the the gospel and the good news and and i you know Lindsay and I, i we we think a lot of what could happen is you know a lot of a lot of the church we we can't really unite around theology we can't really unite around worship we and, and different things like that but we do believe that we can unite around the mission of the yeah. gospel yeah and yeah. and and so the the real gospel you know not not some different gospel as paul said in galatians which i'm preaching through so that's in my heart but uh yeah um so yeah well doug <laughs> Thank you so much. This is dynamic. I never thought it'd go this good. I mean, yeah. I just we hit we hit so many different topics and stuff. And uh, um, when is your podcast coming out? When are you going to release it? Do you know yet? No, we're not sure. Um, we're going to f- do our second one on Saturday, and we want to get a handful of shows before we uh, yeah before we go. Public That's what we did that. too. Yeah, it's yeah that way you you're, you don't feel rushed. You know, like you got oh I got to have one out next week. Are you going to do a weekly show? Uh, yeah, most likely. I mean, you might see an, an extra add in or whatever, but, um, yeah, this depends. That's cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It's going on my list. Yeah, me too. And, and, uh, I, I'm thinking about putting a list on our website of different podcasts that we listen to and promote other, because here's reality in, in the Christian world. And even in this, this thing, there's not enough podcasts to get the quote red pill slash, uh, what I would say, looking at reality through the correct presuppositions, to use your your language, out there, there's just not enough, um, and we need more podcasts. And and the cool thing I learned this week and is that if you do over twenty podcasts, Doug, you are in the top one percent of all podcasts, which is that's amazing. what Most I people... that's what I heard the blurry guys talking about early on. I couldn't believe that. That's insane. Yeah, twenty. That's it. So I bless what you do and I'm excited to listen and because I know it's going to have theology, which is really my heart, what I really enjoy. And, uh, and with, you know, with all, with all the other, uh, worldview lenses that I enjoy as well. So, um, Lindsay, you have anything else you want to? 
No, man, I just it was I enjoyed this sort of Doug free for all smorgasbord here. <laughs> yeah. Can I plug Doug a couple buffet. of books I don't normally plug? Go yes, for it. Please go ahead. Go for it. So yeah. the re- be- just because the way this ended, I think it it would be good that people know that it's out there. I mean, I, I did the conspiracy theory book. I wrote that in um, March yep. of April, I think April of uh, 2020. It kind of talks about some of the things we talked about in the middle, but the end, you know, just makes me think that some of the, some of the books that I'm writing have written want to write are along the lines of helping people get more grounded in the basics. And, and I have a book that I just came out with earlier this year on the creeds. Yeah. Um, so I look at the ecumenical creeds of the church and just kind of go through the basic doctrines that people need to know. And, um, I did a book on, uh, on the five solas of the reformation that, okay. uh, you know, we yeah. were talking about scripture as kind of my foundation. And in that I have a whole chapter on, on scripture where I tease out the nuances that are so important to keep from, um, having a really too simplistic view of what it means that I believe in scripture. And it's my my grounding uh and the you know the five souls of the reformation were just absolutely instrumental in creating the protestant reformation as we know it yes for the last 500 years so i think those can be helpful for anybody who wants to go a little bit a little bit deeper um but also still kind of stay on the basic level um so i recommend them they're all on amazon cool yeah i totally recommend them i mean i'm sitting here looking on my shelf Doug, you'll appreciate all of John Frame's books, so uh, his theology series. So, I mean, I have an appreciation for the church. Yeah, exactly. I love the body of Christ. And yeah. Thanks for listening and supporting us. And remember, stay naturally supernatural. Supernatural.